Good evening, and welcome to this edition of V Radio. Tonight is a special North Virginia Patriots reunion show. For those of you who are still around from my times back in 2008, I was part of a podcast called The North Virginia Patriots, um, starring uh, Brian Seaman and Ray Powell and that Neil Kiernan guy. So um, today our subjects are going to be just further conversing on Kyle Rittenhouse and a new project that I've entered into with Brian um, to make a more refined version of the documentary that I had um, already released on this topic. And then we're going to discuss uh, the revelations that the two documentaries about the big tech, you know, Google and Facebook, um, there were two documentaries. One of them was called The Social Dilemma, and the other one was called The Creepy Line. And they both reveal some really dark and twisted kind of angles on um, what big tech is doing with our data. So, but before we get into all of that, I'm going to have my guests introduce themselves, starting with you, Brian. Welcome to hey. the show. Hey, Neil. It's been a long time. <laughs> like, yeah, a very well, long time. Years. So, yeah, Brian, exactly. The, the first question I ask every guest as I introduce them is to give your story as to what was the precipice moment for you that got you to go from being a casual observer of politics to deciding that you wanted to be somebody who was actually involved? Well, I, you know, the family was always political, so, you know, it was always around, but... Um, Ron Paul, I mean, that was probably the the part. I think it was around 2004, you know, the George Bush uh, election there, obviously post 9-11 and with everything going on with uh, the Patriot Act and everything, and just started to get fed up with the whole left-right argument in politics. And um, not long, probably a couple years after that, you know, Ray and I were talking, and uh, he had me watch this documentary called uh, America, Freedom to Fascism. And, of course, and there was this guy, you know, Ron Paul again, talking about my favorite subject back in the day, which was the IRS and income tax. Um, still a pretty great subject to talk about these days. But, um, yeah, I think that started it all. And then after that, of course, you know about the Ron Paul movement and what that turned into. And uh, kind of wrote that till 2012 when that fizzled out. So then I took a side thing. Haven't done really politics that much. Kind of pay attention here and there because of social media. That's it. So, all right, um, that's definitely a good introduction to uh, my audience who, like, largely other than, like, the really old school people that are still around, what few of them I have, um, would not have known who you were. Um, now, Ray, you've been on my show a little more recently, actually, a couple times, and I've got some old videos talking to you on my old YouTube channel. Um, but go ahead and uh, the same thing, you know, uh, just tell the listeners now who are new to following V Radio. Who, you know, like what was the precipice moment for you that made you to decide to go from just being a casual observer of politics to actually getting involved? Yeah, yes, yeah, similar to Brian, it was it was Ron Paul in that era where, um, you know, I had uh, kind of conservative leanings, if anything, but really just wasn't seeing that the Republican Party was in any way representing of what I thought the government should be. Um, and I heard about this guy, Ron Paul, a couple of different times when I got involved with the Free State Project, which is now thriving up in New Hampshire. Um, and uh, But back in those days, they were just getting started. They were still looking for their, their group, their starting group of members. And I was up that way for um, their pork fest gathering, and uh, they were talking about Ron Paul around the campfire. as like the one guy who seemed to, like, represent values that uh, it just made sense. So I just kind of knew that name, didn't know much about him. 
But then all of a sudden I heard he was running for president. And I was like, wait a minute, let me check this guy out. And I started watching the videos and listening to him talk and stuff. And he was talking about the Federal Reserve and, um, and the money system and, and how, you know, if we really want to make change to our political system, it may not happen very easily if we don't recognize the real source of power on the planet. And uh, that that's the people who can create the money have a lot of power. And that was like a whole revelation to me as I had been a successful capitalist and then spending my life trying to make money, thinking that was the answer to life, found out for myself just prior to all this that that wasn't actually the secret to happiness. <laughs> and then when Ron Paul started talking about um, where money comes from and I really started getting myself educated, uh, just there was no turning back. Like that was, that was a sharp shift in my life where when I watched the, the documentary The Money Masters, which just documents the history of the money changers at the central bank. Three hours. <laughs> three hours of documenting the history. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I think even almost four, if I remember. And it was right. Like, my, my mouth is just hanging open by the end. I'm just like, is this, I can't, this, this is unbelievable that they've got, this keeps happening and they're getting away with it and nobody knows. And, and like, people have to know. And so that was it. That was the moment uh, I had to let people know about the real power on the planet. And, um, since then, it's been a long journey. It's been a lot of anger and fear back in those days, back to realizing uh, within myself how I'm just like the people I was angry at, you know, um, how uh, I could have easily just, like, found myself in life being the same thing they were, and um, really the journey of inner discovery to realize, you know, what it's going to take to transform the planet to my latest work, protocol.love, which is a URL if anyone's interested. So thanks for having me on again, Neil. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can still plug any of those, and that that goes for you too, Brian. Like, um, if there's if you have any current projects, by all means, you know, let me know. We well, can talk about I, them, I, and I can put them in the descriptions and all that. I didn't have any, you know, plugs today. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's fine. Be, be more prepared next time. You know, yeah. <laughs> the funny thing is, is like for me, uh, it was also Ron Paul. It was that video. Uh, you, I don't think you can find it anymore, but it was called Ron Paul courageously tells the truth. And it was about, it was him arguing with Rudy Giuliani about why we were attacked on 9-11. And that was kind of the moment for me. And I think that, you know, one of the things that even some of my left-leaning, you know, followers would agree with is that, you know, candidates, and I, I talked to Lynn Wood about this the other night, was that, you know, there's candidates who have a, a give a damn factor. You know, it's like, you may not agree with, everything they suggest or, or what they want. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, you can tell when a candidate has a genuine caring, you know, about their constituents and actually as a statesman for the right reasons, you know, Ron Paul is one of those people. And that's why, even though I don't agree with a lot of the things he says, I still follow him. I still watch his shows when they come up. And, you know, I wish that more people would do that because especially now, in the state of things that we have politically, people are so divided and so polarized that it's almost impossible to have a conversation across the aisle. And you end up with these situations like we have now, the Congress and the Senate being dominated by two separate parties that are just not doing anything. Um, I was actually listening to a um, Andrew Yang podcast earlier today, and he pointed out that um, our politicians have gotten really good at preventing each other from accomplishing anything, <laughs> but not good at accomplishing anything. You know, so they do just enough to prevent the Republicans you know, or the Democrats, vice versa, 
you know, just enough to prevent them from doing anything so that they have any kind of bragging rights, you know, come election time. And um, my recent show that I just did was explaining why I was an independent. Um, you know, listeners who are just tuning in can check that out in my archives. But so um, what got Brian and I talking again was that I guess, Brian, you watched my um, documentary. I put it in quotes, uh, putting together the Kyle Rittenhouse incident. And you wanted to get involved with making a more refined version of that documentary. And we're going to be working on that going forward. Um, so I want to kind of open the floor then, Brian, on what is your view? Uh, like, what was your first exposure to the Kyle Rittenhouse incident? And how did your views evolve on the on the matter? And then leading you to want to get into another project about something like that? The, you know, this incident among a lot that are happening in this country is probably a very good way to point and hopefully start to point out the people what's really going on. And, you know, to reverse that, as you were talking about the points of the two party system and Ron Paul, you know, as you moved into the Bernie side, I think, you know, the, the two things that we can see that are familiar there is we're not the ones who are in charge and who pick the candidates anymore. We're not being represented. And, you know, the, the Kyle Rittenhouse thing probably has pulled me back in mostly because I've seen, you know, even though I'm not really involved in political activism, I still see, and I see the media and what they're really doing to fuel, not just this, but other things, you know, what they did with that kid with the MAGA hat at the, uh, um, in Washington, DC, you know, before this, uh, a couple months ago, those kind of things. It's just, it's getting very frustrating to watch and with Kyle, you know, it's obviously it represents the, the gun rights side of things, which I'm passionate about. And, of course, just, you know, the common sense side of the justice system that goes on. And I, I know you've expressed concerns about whether he's going to get a fair trial or not based on what the mob and how they react and try to threaten things. And I think that the media, um, for the most part, has really skewed not just this, but everything that's going on. And in this case, I mean, you know, this is a kid who was, from what I can see from all evidence that shows, was really down there to help and to be helpful and to to have it turn into this. And from what you've shown in the documentary, what I've seen on other reportings, um, you know, Ben Swan's done a pretty good job, is that, um, you know, these guys focused on this kid. They, they didn't just accidentally come across him and pick a fight. You know, this was a focused attempt to go after him and, you know, obviously cause him harm, which they tried to do and he was able to stop. So, you know, there was just a lot of aspects to it to me that made me just kind of bring me back into the political fold. Oh, and before I get back to, you know, giving Ray his, his opportunity on the same topic, it's you know, one of the things for me was that, you know, I'm on the left, you know, like you pointed out, Bernie and <sighs> You know, Bernie's a guy that I feel is also in the I give a damn category. And I have friends of mine who are conservatives who I was able to convince to vote for Bernie in the open primary because it won't prevent them from voting for Trump. But even they acknowledge that they would still rather have Bernie Sanders than Joe Biden and certainly Hillary Clinton, um, you know, as their options. Like they recognize that he was at least a genuine person um, who does who does care. Um, but anyway, uh, as far as the Rittenhouse thing, I'm on the left and I'm watching how polarized and just ridiculously just groupthink, cult-like thinking 
you know, was going on. It's like I when I went and investigated to make that video, my initial gut reaction was not had nothing to do with his politics. I'm like, okay, well, I kind of had a feeling we were going to get some crazy shooter eventually, you know, like I thought we were dealing with some kind of active shooter. But then I started, you know, looking at the video and then I looked at more video and then I looked at more video and I was like, this is just some kid who's trying to give people medical first aid at a protest. You know, he's hanging out with a group of libertarians who are defending some property, but he seems actually more interested in giving people medical attention than he does in doing that. And, you know, then he gets jumped on, you know, and every single person that he fired his weapon at moved on him first. And, you know, somebody made a meme about that. It was actually really hilarious, but it was like, it's showing Kyle Rittenhouse running away. And it says Kyle Rittenhouse, the only mass shooter to run from his victims, which I think kind of settles that (laughs) argument in a really funny way. So I want to segue now and giving Ray. So Ray, what was your first exposure to the Rittenhouse issue and, and how have your views evolved on it? Yeah, well, uh, again, similar to Brian, I did. I was, I was tracking it just in the sense of the same thing with the MAGA hat and the Native Americans back a few months back, and how uh, maybe that was a year ago or more now. But yeah, right. Um, yeah, it was just how the the media completely got it so wrong, and and when you actually look at the details, you see this kid was just standing there. You know, and that the Native Americans walked up to him, but yet they speared him. Uh, his name is ruined. You know, his life was kind of ruined for a time. Um, and and it just got everybody up in arms, and I just see this all the same kind of patterns. You know, I did expect, you know, I've been I've been involved in various ways with various militias, and um, I've been impressed with some of them and their organizational skills and their integrity and their commitment to, um, to the peaceful, to peaceful values. Uh, despite the fact that they're pretty into their firearms. Um, and I've, I've been with other groups that weren't as disciplined and weren't at, you know, and weren't as, I wasn't as impressed with. Um, so I, I had no doubt that in these, in these times when I heard they were starting to go out uh, into the streets um, to kind of protect property or to, uh, to stop the looting and burning and all that kind of stuff. I'm like, man, this is a recipe for disaster. And, um, you know, so again, kind of, kind of like you said, I, I wasn't, I was, I didn't go in like assuming anything. I assumed it could have been something really gone wrong. Some guys got a little too excited with their guns. And, um, but uh, yeah, when I saw, when I saw the breakdown you did, Neil, I mean, just, there's just no, there's just really nothing to dispute. I didn't think about there was to dispute. You know? You're breaking up a little really bit nothing. there, Ray. What did you say? Uh-oh. I think yeah. I think Ray's in a blank territory right now on his drive. Um, we'll we'll kind of fill in until he comes back online there. Um, yeah, you know the media definitely was as as we were going into that the reason why I really focused on this. It seems to me if they focus on something like that, then there's more to the story than what's really happening. Particularly these days when they really try to smear somebody that quickly and that bad. Right. And, it's, I mean, it's an agenda. If people are listening and they don't know that this is not by accident, that this is agenda driven, then, you know, I don't know what to say. It's, you know, when you watch this, when you watch, and as you and I refine the documentary, that's what they're going to see. You're going to see a side of that where, you know, the media was completely 
reporting things falsely, making up narratives. I mean, you know what happened there. You know the things. The uh, the guy that supposedly didn't have the handgun, he was pointing his cell phone at somebody. Right. Oh, you yeah. Know. No, that was so bad. That that's There's stuff, and that's the thing also that it motivated me, and it still motivates me, is that as I discuss this with people on Facebook and Twitter, there are still people who think that's what the guy had in his hand, or there's still people who think that he just shot into the crowd, you know, all this stuff that is just absolutely false. Like it's not even remotely true, you know, and it's not even a kind of true. He never fired into the crowd. He literally every single round that he fired is accounted for. And when he got up, you know, like he, there was one other guy who had moved at him initially, but that guy put his hands up and backed away. So Kyle just let him go, turned around and walked away. You know, and he initially, hesitates to shoot the guy with the gun because the guy with the gun put his hands up initially looking like he was trying to surrender. So Kyle lets, you know, lets his guard down and that guy brings his pistol down. And that's when Kyle shoots him in the arm. But the media took a picture of that guy trying to surrender. And then they told the story that said that Kyle just shot the guy anyway, even though he was trying to surrender. And then, so the media has essentially turned this into a circus with like a right version of the story and a left version of the story. And, you know, the truth is, is lost, you know, like in, you know, in, in the mess that they have made out of this because they want ratings or because they want to push an agenda. But like, you know, it kind of comes back to, I don't know if I shared this video with you or not yet, but it's about, it's called um, Americans. And you see like a group of left-leaning protesters saying we are here in protest. And then across from them is a group of like, you know, Trump supporting protesters saying we are also here in protest. You know, and then they start arguing slogans back and forth, and then eventually right. the left side says, violence is okay if you're mad enough, and then charges at the other side, and then the right side goes, finally, I can practice self-defense. You know, and then they start brawling each other, and then the camera pans out to the media and the government going, this is awesome, yeah, thank you. You're like, you know, as in just like the government is asking the media to turn us against each other, you know, um, I'll provide that link to people in the description. Go ahead. Yeah, not to, you know, segue beforehand, but it's not just the media. I mean, as we go in the movement to talk about the social dilemma and the creepy line, uh, as they discuss there, these places show you the articles they think you'll like or will trigger you. So a group of people can be seeing all articles that are right-leaning, where another group is purposely only seeing the left stuff that, you know, says, hey – you know, he, he illegally had the firearm. You know, they go down the list. It was an AR-15 that he was carrying illegally. Um, you know, he's got the criminal record, not the other guys. I mean, it's just, it's that bad. I mean, they're, they're it's playing really us, bad. it's really bad. <laughs> it's so and Ray, bad. Ray, welcome back. Hey, Ray. Um, yeah. Let's test you out. Can we, yeah, you sound better. So um, you were cool. commenting yeah. just on you feel that you after watching the video, you, you felt that it was definitely self-defense. Is that what I think I heard you say? Yeah. Yeah. There wasn't, I couldn't even think of it. Like I'd like to play devil's advocate as much as possible and not take sides, you know, but there was just, there was nothing there to play even dispute. I mean, it was so clear. Uh, the kid was there with good intentions to protect property and to provide. And um, in the process of doing that was, I was targeted by uh, some gangsters. And, and um, he gave medical and, attention and, and, to Black and, and, Lives and, Matter protesters <laughs> like, yeah. all night long. That's what he was trying to do. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's that's yeah. one of the things I told Lynn Wood is Good like kid. after watching I mean, so many 
hours of that footage, you hear him off in the distance going, does anybody need medical? Like through the whole thing. Right, right. I mean, I only have three daughters, but if I had a son, I would be so proud of my son, you know, for being that kid. He's just a stand-up kid. And I'm right. so sorry that he's going through all this. Yeah, I feel for the family and for him. I can't even imagine, you know, what he's going through. Now, given the poise that he showed in those videos, why that was all going on, I mean, hopefully he's keeping that same same thing going right now where he's at. But, um, the, yeah, it's just got to be tough for that whole family. And more tough because, you know, the media picked up on it and the media is vilifying their kid. I mean, these are probably people who know, obviously know much better than any of us what Kyle is like and who he is. And uh, clearly there's nobody coming out that went to his school or, you know, was around him uh, as far as family and friends saying he was anything but a good person. Um, and so, yeah, it's got to be hell for them when the media picks up on something like this. Right. Yeah. yeah that's That was something I said to Lynn Wood was that it's like people on the left at this point, they want him punished just because they think he's a Trump supporter. Like they want him eviscerated just because of his political views. They, they're, they're not even really having a good, honest look at who's who's like right or wrong in the situation. He must obviously be wrong. It must obviously be murder, you know. And I saw the exact opposite polarization when Michael Reinol of Antifa murdered Jay Danielson. Um, I did a video about that too because they were lying about what went on in that situation, and now they they lied about what went on with the police. It's another example with the uh, with the media just twisting a story was that because they like, so for example, the left-leaning media, like especially the bloggers like Vice and such did pieces saying, well, one witness said that the police just executed Michael Reinhold. So that's the, the headline that they threw around. But I found three other witnesses that said that Michael Reinhold fired on them first. But the, the left-leaning media who's pushing the, the Antifa never does anything wrong narrative is, of course, only talking about the one witness who said that they just opened fire on him. You know, um, Ray, you were starting to say something, so go ahead. Well, yeah, just, you know, this what we're witnessing is the final, like, death throws to the Democrat Party, and it's not, you know, I, I don't know what to say about that other than that's what's happening. You know, like, I'm trying not to have an opinion, uh, but, yeah, I mean, we're seeing just absolutely disgusting behavior by people that are absolutely brainwashed by certain, you know, mainstream media favorites they have, um, which are media moguls, CNN, the New York Times, et cetera. I mean, just should be absolutely ashamed of the reporting work they're doing, and it's creating a whole movement of, of you know, uh, zombies that are that are buying this stuff. And, you know, and I don't want to be critical uh, of, their, of the political leanings because I'm not, you know, I agree with a lot of the things that the Democratic Party used to stand for and the left stands for. I agree with a lot of those principles, the anti-war and, and caring about people and providing a social safety net. All of these things are, but I'm not able to, for a second, tolerate this current version of the Democratic Party. It's just disgusting to watch happen. It's It's bad. And, you know, moving in a way, not the entire conversation, but, you know, it's a big race card being played here and it's being overly played. And the newest thing that I've seen, you know, I'm part of the local community groups here on Facebook and social media. And, you know, people are complaining about their, their Trump signs and stuff being taken. And the comments back are basically like, well, you support a racist. So I don't care if somebody walks in your yard and takes your sign. You know, it's the new, it's a new thing. Just call every Trump supporter a racist. And that's the argument. And, 
now it's any engagement that happens there. The first thing the media is doing is looking for whether it was, you know, a white person, or a black person, what kind of mix was it in that engagement so they can ride on it. Right. And that's well, and I saw like there's a video that just got passed on uh, Andy knows Twitter that there was she was actually a woman of color. She had an American flag. It wasn't even a Blue Lives Matter flag. It was an American flag. And this Antifa protester grabs their flag and tries to, you know, pull it away from her. She's fighting for her flag. And then another Antifa protester, a female, grabs her hair and yanks her to the ground. And I'm just sitting there thinking to myself, like, I'm on the left. If I witnessed you do that, I'd knock you both out. (laughs) I'm like, you know, leave this woman alone. She's not doing anything wrong. Just for having an American flag. Just for having an American flag. Well, that's, you know, in one of the, so, my previous shows, I just read an article that they're going into people's neighborhoods and they went into somebody's neighborhood and they were flying an American flag and the mob threatened them to take their flag down and said they were going to come burn their house down if they didn't take down the American flag. You know, fortunately enough, there was another um, African-American activist there who was like, no, you're not. L- leave these people alone. Get the hell out of here. You know, but still, you know, that that's just I mean, totally unacceptable. Period. That's how... That's part of the Bolshevik revolution strategy. Oh, it yeah, is. I mean, the CCP, the CCP and the KGB and Putin got to be just laughing their ass off. I mean, this is, this is their mouths got to be watering. They're loving every second of the self-destruction of the USA. Right. Well, and the funny thing is, because I've been, because I was part of Jesse Ventura's exploratory committee, and therefore I got, you know, neck deep in the Green Party, and their current candidate is like a full-on rabid communist, like wants to nationalize things like way over the top, way further left than Bernie. And that's when I got to learn that the, they don't actually like Bernie at all, that he, they were going to settle for him. You know, like people don't recognize that there's levels to the left, just like there's levels to the right. You know, like there are, you know, so there are people, who, for example, who support Bernie Sanders who would never support like attacking somebody over an American flag would never support, you know, uh, some of the ridiculous, like I've shown you guys screenshots. Some of these Antifa people, they're not even anarcho-communists. They're Stalinists. Like, they literally want to see, you know, a harsh, you know, like, uh, war takeover, you know, line up the, you know, the the capitalists and shoot them. And then they have a, a saying when they say, and liberals get the bullet too. And that's a reference to, you know, anybody who's not left enough for them you know, they want to kill those people, too. Now, fortunately enough, you know, at least at this stage, all of these people are incompetent. You know, like they're just dangerous enough to cause problems. And actually, another prominent leftist, Chris Hedges, openly speaks out against them and says, what you people are doing is actually causing huge problems for us. Like any kind of like positive like outlook that people might have had towards Bernie Sanders's like, you know, reasonable ideas, at least from a leftist perspective, like, okay, let's have health care, let's have college. You know, that's not anywhere in line with let's line people up and shoot them, let's have concentration camps, let's have gulags. Well, that's a whole other it, level, you know. And, um, and you remember how it worked with Ron Paul. I mean, he was an isolationist, he was going to um, you know, give the terrorists what they want, you know, it was all the same thing, you know, they, they figured out that this kind of stuff works. And uh, as we talk about the social dilemma and creepy line, I mean, that's social dilemma. They were talking about that. The divide between left and right has become a bigger divide 
based on what's happening out there with the media and the social media platforms and what they're doing and how they're distributing or not distributing the information. And, you know, the one guy in the documentary was talking about how he believes this could lead to a civil war. And when you watch that documentary and when you watch what's going on right now, it, it feels like they're, they're pushing for that. And I think we can kind of segue a bit here. I don't, I don't mind going back and forth in these open conversations. Like, you know, I've described my style as similar to Joe Rogan in that regard, but it's also, I think, relevant to the written house situation because just like in the social dilemma, they point out where like, you're talking to people and you're like, how the hell could this person be so stupid? Like, how do they not have this information? You know, but you don't realize that the Google and Facebook and all the major social media algorithms are literally designed to keep you looking at your phone or your computer as long as possible. And they've realized that in order to do that, to maximize their, you know, their revenue, that they need to make sure that you only see things that you want to see or you see things that will make you upset and trigger you because those are the things that keep people on their phone. It reminds me of a meme, you know, of a guy like it's like a stick figure at his computer and his wife comes in the door and says, are you coming to bed? He's like, I'll be there soon. Somebody's wrong on the Internet. You know, like you could you could keep somebody sitting on their damn computer for hours if they're arguing with somebody, you know. And so I don't the funny thing about those documentaries was that it seems as though the big tech people have created a monster and they didn't realize the full implications of it. But with that said, one of the things I brought up on the Lynn Wood show was that the Air Force got caught developing technology specifically for the purpose of creating false social media presence to sway public opinion. Even the mainstream media reported on that. This isn't like Alex Jones stuff, like even CNN reported on that. And the Air Force said, don't worry, we only use this in Middle Eastern countries to turn people against the Taliban. And I'm just sitting here thinking, yeah, sure you do. Right. You know, that's the whole thing I was thinking was I was watching Creepy Line and Social Dilemma was like, this would so easily be turned against people. And my question is, Neil, and and I have to preface this to everybody who doesn't know Ray, is like, you know, Ray's the the super geek amongst us here in this conversation. Um, When now this came out, you know, MySpace, Facebook, Ray, did you see the nefarious side of it? No, no, I mean, not at all. I mean, I knew they were collecting information, you know, and so uh, I knew that that was happening. But, you know, I thought, like, they already know everything about me. My FBI file is, is super 20 pages long or longer. Who knows? But anyway, you know, I knew they knew everything about me, so I wasn't worried. And I knew they were collecting data. But they have the data on everybody anyway. If you watch, you know, Snowden talk about any of this stuff, they've been tracking our phone calls. They've been, they, have, they can track everything we do online. Every email is open, clear, unencrypted text. So, you know, everybody, you know, this, the intelligence agencies know everything there is to know. So to me, it was mostly harmless what they were doing on social media in terms of collecting data and, and uh, what we could do with social media in terms of getting the truth out has been amazing. I and mean, this is the reason that we have so many truly awake people. I don't mean woke, because <laughs> they stole that term too. Right. People that have truly been awakened to the depth of control systems that exist on the planet of which, you know, this whole left versus right drama that's leading to the dissolution of the U.S., it really is. We are looking at the dissolution of the U.S. We're staring down the barrel of that gun right now. And I really think that's one of the ultimate agendas. Um, 
because the U.S. is the last stand for uh, sovereignty and a sovereign nation that's not just going to go on with uh, go along with um, central global control. And, um, you know, so uh, in the end, um, what we were able to do on social media was very powerful in terms of waking people up. So I was using it for good and continue to use it for good. And it's getting increasingly harder is what's happening with the same kind of bias that's built into some of the biggest names in main in mainstream media, not, you know, there's slight differences in them, but for the most part with, when it comes to president Trump and the modern day, you know, Republican movement, uh, not that I'm a fan of Republicans, right. But you, there's such a clear and obvious bias to attack everything along those lines and support everything um, that this insane version of the democratic party is putting forth. And um, that's what it's been used for ultimately. And yeah, I, I did not see that coming. You know, I was a kid in the 80s for and some of the 90s for politics. So maybe they did this without the, you know, without social media and the media. But it seems like they've really created a this or that type environment. You're either pro-vaccine or you're an anti-vaxxer. You're either pro-mask or you're anti-mask. You're either, you know, pro-Trump or anti-Trump. It's just those are the two things that come down the line on social media. You're always just this or that. And if you're that, then like you said, they can start censoring you and, you know, saying, oh, well, you're not this, you're that. So we can't hear that. Well, and yeah, I remember well, back in. Then you, Go ahead. You Ray. have to be pro-Biden if you're anti-Trump. There's nothing else you could possibly be. Right. right. And, exactly. if you, and if you want to vote for anybody <laughs> other than Biden, then you're voting for Trump. But I mean, seriously, yep. Democrats, I mean, you guys hate Trump so bad and what you give us is Biden. I mean, come on. You know, that's uh, horrible. But Absolutely. Um, well, what I was going to you know, say – Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, it's fine. Um, back in 2008, when I was working with you guys, we had conversations like we thought they were going to turn the Internet off. Like we thought that was going to be their draconian strategy. And I kind of got the feeling. I'm like, you know, I don't think that's going to be the way they're going to do this. I think they're going to find a way to use it. I think that they've created a situation where, you know, honestly, Ron Paul would have never have gotten as far as he did if it wasn't for media – like social media, like us, and Obama made good use of social media, you know, and, but, and they, if you think about the time before that, before the internet, they had total control over who got into the debates, and the debates were the primary means by which people chose their candidate. So, like, there was, if you didn't get to the debates, you didn't exist. But, but to get back to my point was to say that they're not going to turn it off. They're just going to find ways to use it to manipulate us. And it's honestly worse because it's more insidious because especially if they're using fake sock puppet accounts, like um, China has the 50 cent army, which are literally people that are paid to go in to look for people that are speaking badly about China in Mandarin and argue with them. Like people are paid to do that, to protect the Chinese government's reputation in the Mandarin language online. They're going to, you know, when it, when it's a fake person, it's much more insidious because if it's a news outlet, you can say, well, mainstream media, you know, but what if it's not, what if it's like six or seven people who all disagree with you publicly on your view, you know, and just maliciously endlessly attack you. We saw it like in the Bernie groups, for example, as soon as Bernie suspended his campaign within 24 hours, the Bernie groups were full of Biden people who were acting exactly like the Hillary Clinton people did in 2016 that is to say, very rude, very haughty. You know, if you're not voting for Biden, you're voting for Trump, you know, and you're a terrible, horrible person. 
you know, like very insulting. That's the other thing is like they don't recognize that the Bernie people were not on board with that. Like it wasn't it didn't work in 2016 and it's not going to work now. But one of the biggest things that the left has not realized is that this strategy of pissing all over people, it, it will get it to the it'll get you to the point where people become quiet and so, therefore, they think they have won. They, they think they've won the argument because the person isn't arguing back anymore. But what the truth is, is those people just don't want to talk to you anymore, and then they get in the voting booth by themselves, and then they tick on Trump, which is what happened in 2016. There was a video by a guy, uh, like, he creates a, a false radio personality. Like, the whole shtick is that he's like a, a radio personality from England who gets caught on a hot mic. And one of the videos he did was um, President Trump, how and why. And it was about how Trump, you know, beat Hillary. And that's one of the major things he said is like, not everybody who voted for Trump was a sexist or a racist or, you know, he's like, and you just keep spitting labels at everybody and then they don't want to talk to you anymore. And then when it's different when they're in the voting booth, when you're not there to sit there and harass them and intimidate them and threaten to cancel them, you know, then they just vote for Trump specifically to spite you, you know, and that, but regardless, you know, coming back to like uh, what we're talking about, about these algorithms and how much it's making the divide worse is that now everybody's in a bubble. Like, you know, if you want to be exposed to ideas that are somewhat outside of your bubble, you have to make that effort yourself. And while they don't outright censor people very often with few exceptions, like uh, Alex Jones got deleted off of YouTube they deleted Stefan Molyneux off of YouTube, which kind of surprised me. Um, you know, but, but what they do instead is they'll shadow ban you, which is to say that you're just not going to come up on the search engines very easily. You know, when I Google myself, like my V radio show, I almost never come up. Like I literally have to go find the links myself. If you Google Sargon of Akkad, he's a, like a left-leaning person who's anti-woke, and so you can't find his videos either unless you go look for them. And you yeah, know, that's the so same with my the, Liberty Unleashed channel. Right. The only way to find that stuff is through your users sharing it. And that's what happened with my Rittenhouse video. Now, mind you, it's still got like 13,000 views and climbing, you know, usually about 100 views at least every couple hours or so it'll go up again. But it could be going a lot further, you know, if there was not something inhibiting it, you know, in the search engines. And that's why as soon as I put it up, a lot of the people come up and said, hey, you need to put this on BitChute and you need to put this on Rumble. You need to put this on all of these other mediums because they, they were afraid that it would just get taken down. And surprisingly, I've never had to deal with that, um, at least not yet. But, um, you know, they, hey, they find other ways to prevent you from looking at it. So that's why, you know, despite, I think, what Social Dilemma and Creepy Line were saying, I do feel, however, there are definitely some people with their thumb on the scale and Google has fired people in the past for being, you know, not woke enough. You know, like that guy who put out a uh, report to suggest this is how we could get more women interested in tech. You know, that guy wasn't as sexist. He was just like using scientific data that shows like, you know, that women just usually are not as interested. It's not that they can't do it. It's just that there's a natural inclination, you know, that women are more interested in people and men are more interested in things. Jordan Peterson talks about that all the time. You know, and it doesn't mean they can't. You know, it just means that they're usually not as interested. Um, not always, but usually. And they fired that guy for that. He ended up going on Joe Rogan to talk about, you know, what he, you know, what what led to that. So, if you have 
these organizations that are run by people who have one bias or another, Google is now, at this point, probably one of the most powerful information forces on the planet. And, you know, it is a force for good in that we have a lot of information at our fingertips, but at the same time, you know, it would not be hard and you wouldn't even realize it, how, how easily they just made your show disappear. You know, even if they don't ban it, you won't even realize it. You know, fortunately enough, we have these tech geeks who've, who've essentially figured it out to warn people. And that's why I tell people when they're listening to my show, if you like this, you're going to have to share it because Google's not going to share it. Facebook's not going to share it. You know, I've tried to purchase ads on Facebook for my show. And unless I word them in just the right way, they won't run the ad. Right. And, so, of course, if you said anything that goes against, quote, community standards anytime recently, you can't run ads on Facebook either. Right. Exactly. No. You yeah. know, it sounded like you were you were you were playing down the censorship a little bit, Neil, and I just want to challenge you a little bit there. I mean, I don't know how many of my friends in the activist movement over the last ten years have been completely banned, just completely deleted from Facebook without warning. Um, the alternative health uh, discussions of groups on Facebook were completely decimated, and millions and millions and millions of people and thousands and thousands of groups just deleted one day, gone. And, uh, oh, no, I believe you. I've just gotten lucky. Significant. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, I'm not saying it's not okay. happening. You know, I, oh, by yeah. no means am I saying it's not happening. I've just been lucky. I'm kind of surprised at how lucky I've been, to be honest. Um, I yeah, think no, me too. I haven't had any personal problems, but I do know so many friends and, and huge, powerful groups that are just absolutely like, outright banned. And the shadow banning is definitely more insidious, no question. When you don't know you're being, you know, you're you're basically being deleted, but you're not. So you don't even know that they're taking that against you. Right. And, and that, yeah. it, it, go ahead. Go ahead, Brian. Well, you know, Ray said to me sometime back, you know, privacy's dead. And, I mean, clearly it's it's gone beyond just dead. They're using that information against you, against people. I mean, it's not even that they know the information anymore. It's that they're using it. And they're not always using it in your best interest, for sure. Right. Well, they're using it in whatever way is going to be most profitable. And inevitably, if they have some kind of agenda, whether as a company or whether or not they're being paid to have that agenda, you know, they're going to be pushed that way. And it's so hard to monitor how something like this is is working. You know, it's hard to know what they're really doing, you know, and they've tried to make some competitive forces. But like uh, Andrew Yang just pointed this out. Nobody wants to use the second best Google. Nobody wants to use the second best Facebook. I mean, there are exceptions, but, you know, for the most part, it's really hard to break into that. Like Bing has been trying to break into the search engine. Um, you know, the Yahoo search engine used to be a big deal. Hardly anybody uses it now that I know of, you know, and even people who acknowledge that Google is evil still end up using it. You know, well, and um, I was just going to say go that ahead. we all sit here and talk about how evil this, these places are, and we all know it. And we all still, the three of us, use actively use these um, Facebook, Google, YouTube, all the time, and I mean, it's it's hard to get away. There's there truly is an addiction there, uh, um, you know, not just uh, hey they're using me, but it's truly like you know we all do it, and we know it's bad. Right. Yeah. yeah. So you know, I am optimistic about this. I think the thing, the really the game changer that's coming, is um, you know we're all we're all kind of aware of blockchain and the idea that it's not able to be centrally controlled. Well. Blockchain's history, it's very clunky technology. 
It's very um, not scalable. But, but people have invented technology. For instance, Holochain has invented technology that accomplishes all of those non-central kind of capabilities, but not um, relying on mining and dysfunctional stuff that's actually burning the planet, and it's not scalable. So we actually have social media coming. Junto.foundation is where you can go, and they're, they're um, beta testing now if you want to be part of it. But Junto.foundation is a new social networking um, app does not have central servers. Okay, so there is no ability to censor things. And so um, the only thing that will be is, is, you know, you sign up for the kind of filter that you want in case you don't want, you know, um, to see, you know, like probably, you know, when people grab a hold of this, I'm sure all the kind of nasty stuff that you might not want to see is on there. And you can subscribe to filtering algorithms at your own choice, right? And anytime you want to turn off your filter, you can. Anytime you want to switch to a different filter, you can. Um, so really, um, this is a game changer, and um, I'm really optimistic that um, in the next year or two, we're going to see this really start to shift. I got signed up on Parler. Um, I guess it's like the conservative Facebook, so I'm probably the only <laughs> progressive leftist on Parler. Um, but um, because of my because of my Rittenhouse documentary, um, I still have followers there. Uh, you know, but that actually, I think that's something I was what I'm trying to get my audience to do because now I have an audience that's both right and left is to start thinking for themselves and to start exposing themselves to things, you know, that are outside of their bubble. So like I have YouTube personalities that I get my news from um, that are maybe a little bit to further right or a little bit further left. And I listen to what they have to say and I take from it what I agree with. And then I discard what I don't, but I challenge myself and people should all do that as part of their mental development as individuals. You know, like Tim Pool, for example, is a little bit further right than me, I would say. You know, um, one of my favorite shows is uh, Rising because it has a progressive Democrat and a populist Republican on the same show discussing issues. And it's surprising how much they actually agree on things more than they disagree because they both put the people first and the good of people first. You know, um, and not every, not very many other, you know, news shows can do that. And um, Joe Rogan was kind enough to kind of bring more and more of these kinds of alternative media people on his podcast. He's had Crystal and Sager on. He's had Jimmy Dore on, although I have my problems with Jimmy Dore. Um, you know, but he's had, you know, a lot of these other alternative news people on. And I tell people all the time that, you know, that this is really the best way for you to learn what's going on because, you know, we already knew the mainstream media was screwed up, but now it's only getting worse. Um, you know, and I think that, you know, but as far as people's development as individuals and not being subject to the groupthink cult mentality, find these news people on YouTube or other outlets that are just a little outside of your normal view. Also, just so you can understand the opposition a little better, because if you're only going to get the ideas as to what your opposition are from your own side, you're going to come up with some pretty screwed up stuff, which is, for example, why I know the Proud Boys are not a racist organization. The Proud Boys are not fascists. They're not Nazi Nazis. Their current like director is like a Cuban, and then their president is a black man. You know, but if you listen to, you know, even Fox News identified the Proud Boys as a white supremacist organization during the debates with Trump. And that's just not true. You know, and the, the reason I know that, I mean, I don't agree with their you know, you know, philosophies, their right leaning, but we don't have to keep lying about people. You know, it's like you were talking about the race card earlier, Brian. 
it's it's graduating from a card into becoming like a race certificate. And if right. you're not, and if you're not, you know, a hundred percent in line, you know, and this goes both ways. But if if you're not one hundred percent in line, then you're automatically a full-on racist, Nazi, misogynist, homophobe. You know, you're all of these things, and you uphold white supremacy. You know, because you you disagree with any aspect of their little platform that they have going. And on the other side, I encounter it. You know, if you're left-leaning in any way, you're a communist, you know, no matter what. You know, like, um, they're calling, like, Kamala Harris and Biden communists. That's actually one of the funniest things that um, I remember was listening to the debates was the biggest lie that Trump told was that Biden supported Bernie Sanders' health care plan because he doesn't at all, (laughs) like, not even a little. You know, Biden clarified that, but I've heard that from a lot of people that Biden, you know, is a socialist and he supports Medicare for all. I'm like, that isn't true. That's, that's why I didn't vote for him. <laughs> like, take right. it for me. He's not, in, you know, he's not on board with Medicare for all. And if well, that's, that's what you think, thing. you should probably listen to someone else. Go ahead. That's a, what we used to say back in the day, you know, do your own research, do your own research. And I, I'm not sure if we have a metrics on whether that really worked out and how many people went and did their own research, but it's definitely harder today to, tell somebody to do their own research because it's getting harder to tell them where to go and find the information that might be helpful to them to go down a a rabbit hole. They might need to go down. And when you look at the show that we're doing here that you themed with Rittenhouse, Social Dilemma, and The Creepy Line, it's actually very well connected because of that. I mean, the Rittenhouse is an example of how the Social Dilemma and The Creepy Line, what they're trying to apply to it, and how the information's being skewed, being banned, you know, all those things. And now these days they can use that information to pretty much call you out. Like, Oh, we want to know who all the conservatives are. Put this article out and see how they respond. Now, you know who all the conservatives are. Um, Right. Yeah. And and you can group them. You can, you know, database them, do all the fancy things they do with their fancy servers. When, you know, I, I want to ask you, since you both watched both of them, the creepy line and the social dilemma, did you find one better than the other, more informative than the other? Go ahead, Ray. I've talked more, so I'll, I'll wait. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I definitely like the creepy line because it didn't um, seem to have a bias uh, except towards the dangers of social media. Um, the social dilemma seemed very clearly um, kind of on this new path. And to connect a couple of, we were talking about, you know, telling people to do your own research. I've actually been on Facebook recently. I said, do your own research. And somebody said, you're obviously a Trump supporter. That's exactly what Trump supporters say. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is what it's come to. And, then, and, uh, and, you know, and it's like, anything, yeah, if you're not um, following the, the mainstream um, blue church line, if you haven't read Jordan Hall's article, Understanding the Blue Church, I highly recommend it, right? Because the Blue Church isn't just the Democratic Party. It's this whole media conglomerate, including the social media companies, including Fox News, right? You know, um, that have all kind of just gone on this, this kind of bent that's been going on for 50 or 60 years of getting the public to believe certain values, even though those values are completely incompatible with with nature, with a healthy society, with anything. Um, and they've just really managed to put that, that kind of mindset in and really create a control mechanism that um, here's where you go to find out what you're supposed to believe and what's right and what's just. Um, 
and it's getting out of control. And so I think that Social Dilemma, uh, the Social Dilemma movie, um, actually had a bent towards um, they, for instance, they conflated um, the flat Earth conspiracy theory with um, like PizzaGate, as if as if PizzaGate is just total nonsense. You know, the only thing that was total nonsense about PizzaGate is the fact that there weren't actually kids in the basement of the pizza parlor in question, which, you know, led to the scandal of this guy going in there and trying to shoot the place up. But, um, you know, to, to say that um, investigating um, the word pizza and the word hot dog, which have been identified by the FBI, by the FBI as, as words that pedophiles use, code words they use, and that you can see throughout Hillary's emails and, uh, and you know, all that kind of stuff, to pretend that that's just not happening at all. And they kind of allude to that. They kind of say the nonsense of flat earth is equivalent to Pizzagate, that like, there's nothing there. And there's a couple other conflations they make that are just unhealthy. And so when you go in to find, about social, find out about social media and you understand the power of metadata, essentially metadata is what they're talking about in the social dilemma. That's what Snowden has been talking about for as long as he's been on the scene. He's been telling you they're collecting metadata. They can identify trends. In, in popular thinking, right? They can they group people into groups and that if you're part, if they identify you as part of this group, they know how to feed you what you like. They know how to feed you what you don't like. They know how to manipulate you. And that is the common theme across it all. And so I think the creepy line does a better job at just making that point without muddying it up with all the other crap. I think um, for me, I feel that both of them are important in their own way. I feel that the social dilemma did a better job of helping me understand exactly how the divisive algorithm works and what the consequences are. I think it's funny that they strategically made the extremist protesters the extreme center (laughs) because they realized if they made it the extreme left or the extreme right, that they would turn off one side or the other. Um, You know, even though like the, the imagery that was in there looked, you know, reminded me of black lives matter stuff. I got a little more insight about the about that documentary by listening to Sam Harris's podcast with uh, one of the guys who made that documentary, which is actually what led to me um, going on. And I highly recommend Sam Harris's podcast um, to anybody who hasn't listened to it, especially the one he just did called Can We Come Back from the Brink, which is about um, racism. But anyway, uh, so in the in the podcast, they describe, you know, um, that. Alex Jones apparently had been recommended by YouTube like over a billion times. Um, And that there were some things that Alex Jones said that were dangerous. And they finally realized that I guess that the main, one of the major reasons why they just straight up banned him was that he's so, he was so dug into the algorithms that they couldn't just get rid of him, you know, and people were like, if you wrote it nine 11, you were extremely likely in the old days to pull up an Alex Jones video Um, whereas nowadays you don't, and and I guess, you know, it's hard to say, I mean, like, you know, I still dabble in conspiracy stuff. I think what the video was trying to get at was just that, you know, you can, you can go down some pretty crazy rabbit holes because of this thing. Like they brought up the flat earth guy, I guess who was a basketball player or something and got drug into that, you know? Um, and, but it's, but their, but their objective is just to keep you looking at stuff so that they can keep running ads in front of you, you know? Um, that that's I think where they were going at it, but basically both of them together, I feel kind of gave me a better overall understanding of how the, how it works, why they're doing it, 
you know, and I think they're both important, I guess, in their own ways. I just watched the creepy line because I found it for free on, um, Oh God, what's that service like TiVo or something. Basically it's like a, like a Netflix, but it's free and just has ads. Um, you know, and I watched it there and, you know, it also kind of gave you some more ideas about different motives, but at the end of the day, watching both of those documentaries in particular, it is, it reminds me of, um, there's a scene in, um, Batman, I want to say the dark Knight, when, uh, the main character like Batman, obviously he has, you know, that guy working for him who puts together this crazy network where he can basically see where everybody is based on the way their cell phones are listening, you know, and just the immense power that it had, you know, and his, and his character basically said, I I can't keep working for you if you're going to still have this because it was too much, you know, and it's, while it's not as on the same level as what was going on in that movie, you know, we're getting there, especially because, you know, something that Jacques Fresco, you know, to dip into my Venus project zeitgeist movement stuff a little bit, pointed out is that we are what we are exposed to. We are the information that we are exposed to. It has an enormous effect on our personalities and our ability to perceive the world. And it has effects on us in ways that we don't necessarily realize. That's the part that's probably the most insidious about it is that, you know, um, you don't realize it. One of the things about the creepy line that I think did a you know, really good job was just that scene where they're showing that they did an independent study to show how they could sway an election. And they had people that they brought in, you know, to do the study on, and they picked the 2010, like, um, election for Australian prime minister so that they knew that the people that they were testing it against, you know, had no biases whatsoever towards either of these candidates. You know, the only thing I wish they had controlled for is that, you know, um, obviously there's still a conservative party and a, you know, and a left-leaning party in Australia. I don't know what they're called, but regardless, they still were able to show through their studies that you could sway an election very easily by swaying the search engine results that, you know, that a candidate was given. And that's how you end up with, for example, candidates like Tulsi Gabbard, which I felt were very solid. Nobody heard anything about them. You know, Andrew Yang, very solid candidate. Nobody heard anything about them. You know, with Tulsi, it's a different issue. It's like, as Mike Gravel pointed out to me, because I had him on my show to talk about this, was that any anti-war candidate, for example, Terry Industrial Complex will terminate you. Like, that's why they went after Ron Paul. You know, that's why they went after Dennis Kucinich. That's why they went after Mike Gravel. If you're an anti-war candidate, your Google index is going to suck. You know, basically. And that's, you know, the Ron Paul, the Bernie crowd, we both have something similar, which is a lot of people can be sitting there shrugging their shoulders going, I don't understand. These guys' rallies had thousands, tens of thousands of people at it. And you're telling me that he's not the front runner in this primary? Um, You know, the when they showed the results in Social Dilemma about how they can manipulate it, how simple they had to change, which articles appeared to change the opinion, um, it was absolutely amazing. But it's the continued thing, and they they played this game. I mean, you read if you ever read the book The Creature from Jekyll Island, they did this back, you know, when Wilson was running too with the media game long before internet and social media of uh, essentially just labeling a certain candidate a certain way. And you, you tell this lie loud enough and long enough and people will eventually believe it. And, you know, they've done that with Bernie. They've done that with Ron Paul. You know, you mentioned Tulsi Gabbard. Um, my friend was a Bernie supporter 
And I remember talking to him, you know, I said, who are you going for? And he said, Bernie. And I was like, why Bernie? Uh, I said, I, I would have thought Tulsi would have been more in line with what you're for. He goes, I don't even know who that is. And this is a person right. who listens to NPR and is on social media, you know, Facebook and places just like us. And he didn't know who she was. Right. I mean, and the yeah, only I reason mean, I did is because I'm, you know, Mike Gravel mentored me to very diligently look at every single person on the ticket because there's going to be people like that that have been eliminated. You know, um, that's something I was telling the Bernie people for the longest time. I'm like, you guys don't know how good you have it, especially these kids that are just getting into politics now in their early 20s. I'm like, a, a character like Bernie, like, I thought that back in 2016. I was like, Jesus, he's going really far. Like, a, a guy who talked like that in 2008, he'd have been gone. Like, they, they'd have gotten rid of him and, before the second debate because he sounds a lot like Mike Gravel, a lot like Dennis Kucinich. You know, like, he's that kind of left-leaning guy. They would have gotten rid of him a long time ago. They couldn't this time because the, the social media just prevented it. Um, but it, overall, though, things have definitely changed. And I told them, I'm like, you guys have no idea how easy you have it because we were struggling to get Ron Paul any attention in 2008. And you brought up the rallies, and that's an excellent point. Ron Paul's rallies were definitely just as big as Bernie's. And they can't ignore Bernie's rallies, but they do their best not to talk about it. You know, they do their best not to bring it up. You know, um, and it, it, when you talk about, like, front runners and who's popular, who's who brings out enthusiastic people, you know, that's definitely another thing. Like, you know, Tulsi Gabbard, I felt terrible for that girl because, you know, she was a genuinely good candidate and very yeah. few people knew about her. And, you know, like, you know, when she'd have a, an event, like one or two people would show up and she made the mistake of pissing off the Clintons. You know, she made the mistake of pissing off the military industrial complex. Here you have a war veteran, a major in the army, you know, with a very strong foreign policy. So they went right after her. It doesn't help the fact that she also, um, you know, in 2016 uh, was on the DNC and literally resigned to endorse Bernie Sanders the moment she found out what they had done to him, you know, as far as like going out of their way to try to sway the election against him. You know, so she had integrity and all of these things worked against her. Um, at this point, I don't I don't even know if she's even going to stay in politics. You know, I think she's she said she's not seeking reelection, which is really too bad because they, they need people like that in Congress. But she knows. I mean, that's I wouldn't seek reelection either if I knew that information. I mean, you know, it's it's just it's too much to talk when you talk about the difference between the two shows and you talk about Tulsi Gabbard and those campaigns. um I think, you know, people should watch both the social dilemma and the creepy line because you, you need that point driven home on what they're actually doing out there and what's actually going on. And, you know, again, you hate Trump that bad. You have a candidate like Tulsi Gabbard and what you give us is um, Biden. Um, you know, things are going on there, people, and we need to pay attention. It's, you know, not just do your own research, but kind of wake up. Um, I had a lot of friends who said that they were Republican who would have voted for Tulsi Gabbard. Like a lot of them for who sure. said they would vote for Tulsi Gabbard. She was absolutely, she was absolutely my favorite by far. Um, Last act. See her go, she's the only one who could have beat Trump hands down. No questions asked. Right. She's a, she's a woman. She's a minority. She, she, she was attracting the right. I mean, the fact that they, that the DNC did not run with her just shows you, you know, again, after what they did to Bernie in 2016, just shows you the depths of corruption there. Right. 
And another another point I wanted to make. Um, Go ahead, Ray. Oh well, well unfortunately, uh, Tulsi. I do think I do feel like she sold out. I feel like they gave her a deal. I feel like they told her, "Look, go, just go away, and here's what we're going to give you." So I, I have a feeling that she that she took a deal, but and I don't trust her anymore. But um, I did want to mention um, Shadowgate is also another one really worth watching. I mean, um, it just goes to show exactly what they did to Trump with the whole um, fake Russia investigation and how they used social media and all of this metadata to manipulate that. And it goes into the depth of the companies. I mean, this girl did a great job of investigating this stuff and who these companies are. They're the company that controls the congressional IT system, the whole computer system that runs Congress and the Senate is based in Israel, for instance, <laughs> like all kinds of information like that and what they can do with this data when they have access to it. Right. No, yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all. Well, go ahead, Brian, and then I'll make my comments. I was just going to say, it's insane. I mean, it's absolutely insane. And, you know, you you have to shake your head at it. Who sold us out? Why are they selling us out? Um, this stuff should be free and open information. We should be able to put an end to it quickly. And it's the opposite. I mean, it's being manipulated and spun to their advantage. And it's just sad. Well, and so when you talk about documentaries, I had to go back and find some really old ones. And fortunately enough, I was actually able to find the guy in question and I talked to Ray about this. I don't know if I talked to you, Brian, but you remember we were passing around this link of a guy who testified before Congress, you know, saying that he had been hired by a software company to write um, voting machine rigging software. Yeah. You remember that clip? Yeah. I had that guy on my show twice. His name is Clint Curtis, and he's actually running for Congress in Florida. Um, but he got hired by software companies to write code to rig the elections. And, um, he also got hired to write code, or rather write a computer program to assist in gerrymandering. Um, gerrymandering is probably one of the, the most ridiculously obvious things, and if you haven't seen it, you should watch Slaying the Dragon, which is a documentary about how bad gerrymandering is. Um, but to get back first to election fraud, you know, he pointed out how easy it was to rig those machines. It's like maybe five lines of code. You know, um, it was really simple. And they're very easy to hack into. And there's two documentaries about that. Hacking Democracy was one of them. I'm going to forget what the other one was. But um, he had an associate because obviously he got fired when he whistle blew on that company. And then they blacklisted him in the software world. So he couldn't get another software job. So he decided to go into law school to become a lawyer. And that's what he does now. Um, you know, But while he was in school, he was working at this store. And this guy who was a fellow former employee, well, rather, he was an employee at the time of that software company, kept showing up at his store to ask him questions about everything. And, you know, he's like, uh, you know, you need to uh, be careful about what you're doing because apparently they had murdered this guy's dog. Like, I mean, you know, they had done all kinds of things to try to scare him. The only reason that, I, that they didn't act against him in the end was he came out with a book and went public and went before Congress. It was too obvious that, you know, that what he had done. But, Anyway, so long story short, this guy lives in Florida. His associate, you know, who keeps showing up at the store to ask him questions, you know, um, keeps saying, you know, you know, saying, okay, well, I'm going to blow the doors off this. I finally uncovered it. It goes all the way to the top, you know, and in, and Clint was like, you, you need to tell somebody now because they're, you know, this is not safe. They're going to go after you. And then um, he's like, I got this. Don't worry about it. And then he, he found, they found him dead in Georgia, two hours away, 
um, in a you know in a bathtub in some little podunk motel, and the official listing was suicide. And the funny thing about it is that um, the police said that the their pictures of the crime scene that their camera malfunctioned, and then so they didn't have any pictures of the crime scene. But the funny thing is, two days later they leaked online, and when you look at the pictures of this crime scene, this guy's shirt was all slashed up. He's got blood all over him. It's very clear he did not just kill himself. But and it's also the other thing that was screak you know crazy about it was that he lived in Florida yet for some reason drove two hours out of his way to go to Georgia to kill himself. And one of the things that Clint pointed out was that according to Florida law, if it's a suicide, you must do an autopsy. If you commit suicide in Georgia, there is no requirement of a of an autopsy. So it's very clear this guy got murdered. And that was the year that uh I believe it was the Kerry Bush, like, you know, when there was all this weird um, uh, controversy about that election. And that brought us to what I was talking to Lynn Wood about recently. He's like, how in the hell did Bernie Sanders lose the nomination? You know, he's like, I just woke up one morning and all of a sudden they're telling me that Biden's the nominee. And I was like, well, here's how it happened. (laughs) There's a company called, well, it wasn't a company. It was a group called TDMS Research that was researching the exit polls. And the exit polls in the Democratic primary this time were sometimes as high as double digits in deviations. And according to the United Nations, if there's a 5% deviation, you're supposed to say, okay, something's up. This is fraud. Um, and, but anyway, so um, Joe Biden goes from like fifth or sixth or something, I believe, after Nevada, where Bernie Sanders literally crushed everybody. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere... Barack Obama calls all of the Democrats and says, just drop out. We, you know, we got this. And then the next day, Super Tuesday happens, and Joe Biden wins in a landslide in a bunch of states that he did not even campaign in. And so it was clear to me that there was election fraud, and it was clear to Mr. Curtis when he evaluated it that there was election fraud. You know, and um, so... That, you, then you get into the gerrymandering. I don't want to go on too much longer because obviously you guys need to talk. The gerrymandering is just, to be simple, is literally the process of drawing congressional districts within a state and within the state house. And that's how you end up with states like Michigan, where for some reason the majority of Michigan residents elected a Democratic governor, yet the entire state legislature is utterly dominated by the Republicans because it's a gerrymandered state. Something that the uh, that film I talked about, Slaying the Dragon, talks about is that the Republicans got together to gerrymander. They were trying to gerrymander all the states, was their plan. Um, but they only got it done in Michigan, Ohio, and Wisconsin, um, and a few others. But, you know, that's something that is definitely not, by any means, was ever intended by the Founding Fathers. And they were talking about our democratic system, where you can just build districts to make sure your party wins. Um, so, anyway... So there's just the issue of of our elections having any kind of, beyond just manipulating us, you know, you put that together with our mail-in ballots, you know, I don't know if I have any confidence in this election at all. What about you guys? I haven't had confidence in an election in a long time. Yeah, and this one's especially, I mean, you know, yeah, this whole thing with the mail is just, but the the real, the biggest thing about this election is if you haven't seen it, look at the, uh, Transition Integrity Projects Report. <laughs> integrity. Um, they call themselves about integrity. However, 
they even talk about a scenario where Trump wins the, both the electoral vote and the popular vote as if there won't be a transition if that happens. So why is the project called the Transition Integrity Project talking about that scenario? It also happens that every this is supposedly a bipartisan committee um, who put this the, who runs this project. Um, of course, all the Republicans on the committee are never Trumpers, and they're ta- what they're going about to try to do is if Trump wins the popular vote and the electoral vote, they're still not going to let him have it. They're, they're going to um, continue to do recounts. They're going to continue to say that votes are still coming in the mail. They're going to drag it out. Facebook has already announced that they're not going to allow anybody to say Trump wins or declare victory, anyone, it's going to be blocked on social media. Um, this is, we're, we're in for a long drought. I mean, you think it was bad in 2000, you know, forget about it. We're going to see some serious drama. And the way that they're going to, that the Democrats are planning to, um, and it's not, you know, what is, it's just not the Democrats we're talking about. We're talking about some serious powers uh, in, the, in the deep state that are obviously behind um, this agenda. Uh, because what they're planning to do is right there in the report, Transition Integrity Project report, um, they're going to ask for D.C. to be a state, for Puerto Rico to become a state, and for California to be broken up into six states, knowing that they're going to gain a ton of seats in the Senate and in the Electoral College because of that. Um, and so that's going to change politics in this country long term forever and give you know the blue, the blue team <laughs> quite an advantage. So um, all of that just because Trump might win the election fair and square. <laughs> Did there you have something, Brian, and before I comment again? Is there such a thing as fair and square? I I, I don't really I, – I'm not even going to vote this time. I, uh, I, and that's know, new for me. Yeah. I, it doesn't matter what you talk about. Kyle Rittenhouse, the elections, the kid with the MAGA hat, um, it's all the same theme, all the same story. And at, at the end of the day, we – we should be in amazing times. We seem to be in very scary times. And, you know, it's sad to think that this is about a few people wanting to have absolute control over everything. I mean, at the end of the day, it's just no wonder people don't grasp it or want to look into it because how can you fathom? Why would anybody want to do that? What's the point? Um, And yet it's there. I mean, and it's happening. And, you know, all of us growing up in the political landscape we have the last 10, 20 years, you know, the cognitive dissonance that's out there, the apathy that's rampant. Um, I think the social media has definitely, as Ray pointed out, allowed us to gain some new people in the movement. But I think it's also, I mean, percentage wise, I think the balance is still not in our favor. And, you know, in that, I think they've still managed to manipulate the masses. And it's scary to think that that's, how easy it is and how possible it is for them to do that. You know, something else that occurred to me that I mentioned earlier on the Linwood show too, is that one of the big red flags for me, when you talk about you guys hate Trump that much and, you know, like the things that you're talking about, Ray, is that when George Bush, Dick Cheney, Carl Rove, um, all those people have all come out. Actually, I guess actually Rove, I think works for Trump now, but, the vast majority of the Bush administration people are now forming a super PAC to raise money for Joe Biden. And right. Joe, Joe Biden voted for Iraq. And I, I just, there's no way in hell that the neoconservatives are not getting something out of that. 
And I think that Hillary Clinton, if she had been elected, would have invaded Syria. And one of the things that Jesse Ventura pointed out to us while we were working for him was that he opposed Trump and he wanted to run against him. But one of the things that surprised him was that Trump had not gotten us involved in any more wars. And, um, you know, he had to credit him for that. And that kind of made me think for a moment. I'm like, well, Jesus, he's right. He hasn't really gotten us into any more wars, you know, and that can't be, you know, according to plan, as far as the people who brought us the Iraq war would be concerned, they've, they've got to be getting something out of it. I think that Hillary Clinton would have invaded Syria. Um, I had storm clouds gathering on. He's another YouTube personality. And he agreed with that. I think Hillary Clinton would have been a hell of a lot more hawkish and, one of the things that um, somebody actually translated a uh, an interview with Putin on a different like European show, and he said that um, one of the things he said was that if Hillary Clinton is elected, it's going to be war. Like as in they felt full on that Russia feels that Hillary, if Hillary Clinton had been elected, we would be at war right now. And that's one of the things that concerns me the most. It goes back, harkens back to when the three of us were doing our show before was, you know, it was about anti-war anti-Patriot act, you know, and a lot of these new kids who are just getting involved in activism now have no sense of history and they don't realize that this is around the corner and they think that Biden's going to bring them something, you know, you know, bright and cheerful. I'm like, no, we're going to go back to war. You know, the people who are worried about how activists are treated, like I recently circulated a meme you know, that I repurposed because the Green Party is circulating it to remind everybody that Barack Obama, you know, was not in any way kind to the Occupy movement. You know, you know, had the different groups like, you know, designated in such ways that the police, you know, basically came in and threw us out of our Occupy parks and stuff like that. You know, so it, there's no reason to believe that Joe Biden is going to be nice to us um, as activists when things turn around, you know, um, he initially, you know, kind of played up to that, but now he's openly saying he's not going to tolerate violence, you know, so, you know, I don't know what will come out of it, but there's no way in hell that George Bush and his people are supporting, you know, Joe Biden against Donald Trump if they're not getting something out of it. No way. Well, you know, Trump derangement syndrome and all this stuff that's going on with the Democrats and pushing Biden and, you know, anytime the old George Bush camp, says that they hate Trump. I mean, all this makes me want to go out and actually vote for Trump. Um, it's not the opposite <laughs> where I'm like, well, maybe they're on to something. I'm like, man, these guys are assholes. I'm going to go vote for Trump yeah. despite them. I'm certainly not pro-Trump, but I am definitely anti-anti-Trump. Right. So it's like, <laughs> like these people who just, like there's nothing, the media and, and nobody will give him credit for anything he's done. Um, he plans to, he's been trying to reduce levels. He's, there's a quote of him saying I'm going up against the military industrial complex. Those guys are tough or something like that. Like he's just openly talking about it. That's one thing you got to love about the guy. He just doesn't believe in those secret club kind of uh, secret handshake, secret club societies that most of the rest of these powerful political and media and corporate people belong to. Literally, these are secret societies. Um, and this is the critical thing. I mean, if there's nothing else that people need to understand about what's happening in the world is that we've developed a system where the object to win life is to get money and to get power. And the only thing that limits decent people from getting money and power is that they rise up to a certain level of wealth and, and uh, power in the world, and they realize what they would have to do to go to the next level. And it's just, it's just they realize the level of, of 
basically sociopathy, the level of disgusting behavior they would have to take on to keep things secret, to manipulate people, to stab people in the back. And um, these secret societies really have formulated the same kind of entry and, 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 you know, membership development procedures as a gang, as the mafia always says. How do you get into a gang of the mafia? You have to commit a crime and let everybody witness you do it, right? They tell you what to do. Go rob that guy. Go, you know, do this thing uh, that is immoral or illegal or both and witness it. Um, In doing so, you're entering a secret club. Now you have something, they have something on you. You know they had to do the same thing to get into position, right? And that seems innocent enough. We've seen all the movies. Like, we're we're ready to swallow that. But, um, But the thing that people are not willing to realize is that if you keep playing that game at ever more um, higher levels of power and money, it can really just go off the charts in terms of what you're willing to do to be part of the next level of power. And I really do not believe um, that this, you know, satanic cult child sacrifice ritual stuff where the pedophilia is and the child trafficking ring and Epstein Island, Epstein Island was very clearly to me, blackmail Island. It was where they got people to do these kind of sociopathic, um, tendency kind of things, the wink and the nod. Hey, you're in the club now because you've done this thing um, here on this island. And it just, it's hard for the average person to imagine the depths of depravity that people end up going to, um, starting off with fairly innocent things. And um, it does seem like the weird thing that's happening nowadays is that somehow the Democrats are, the Democrat Party is getting aligned with that. And, and anybody who's not towing that line gets labeled alt right, gets labeled white supremacist. Um, even YouTube, we haven't yet mentioned YouTube much. Of course, they're all wholly owned by Google, right? If you, the QAnon movement, Q has been just compiling evidence of all the stuff that conspiracy theorists have been talking about online since the inception of the Internet, right? Q has been kind of nudging people in the direction of researching that stuff. And if you go on YouTube and there's any mention of Q, it says Q is an alt-right conspiracy theory, like right in front of everybody. So, I mean – um, now, at this point, if you tell someone, hey, just, just check this out, just check out Q, go, on, go to QAnon.pub, which incidentally, Facebook has blocked the entire URL, QAnon.pub. Um, if you just tell someone to go there, the first thing that comes back with is some alt-right site. <laughs> I mean, the, the, so the movement against the truth community that has been labeled conspiracy theorists, which I am glad to take that label because – if I am one who theorizes about the kinds of conspiracies that are happening on the planet and looks into them and tries to figure out which ones are more plausible and which ones are likely to be happening, call me a conspiracy theorist all day. It's called investigative journalism, and I'm proud to wear that label. Of course, it has a demeaning tone to it. And um, so, so that's kind of what's happened. That's been there. They saw the power that we were having on the Internet. Just the same, you want to talk about historical context here. Let's talk about a couple of things. In 2009, the Ron Paul movement, was, was growing in power. People were calling into this message. We were not right. We were not left. We were staunchly anti-war. We wanted our troops out of the Middle East. We wanted to bring them home. Um, and they took over that movement. They did the research. and They, they figured out the things that um, were attracting people to that movement. And they, they nudged Glenn Beck. And Glenn Beck took over the movement and created what they, they put Glenn Beck in the spotlight. And they started calling it alt-right. So now we are right. When we were just as left, it was unbelievable. Another historical tidbit. I'll, I'll shut up. Right. Um, we, were, we were robustly anti-war, and we were, we were friends with Democrats. Democrats were anti-war back in the day in 2007 and 2008 before Obama came into office. They were anti-war. They were against the Patriot Act. 
And as libertarians, we were aligned with the Democratic Party on those things. And so we could truly say we, we were not right, we were not left. The moment Obama got elected, the anti-war left evaporated into thin air overnight. And if you don't take my word for it, take Cindy Sheehan's word for it. She has been absolutely disgusted with the left ever since. And she's a great example of, of somebody who used to stand for something that we could agree with in the Democratic Party. And that, that the thing has just gone off the rails. Go ahead, Brian, if you had something, then I'll talk again. Well, I mean, that's, I mean, as powerful as it gets right there, you know, when you, when you look back on it like that, when you talk about it like Ray did, um, you know, what, what do you say? That's what they do. They infiltrate, you know, these Tea Party movements, these alt-right things. Uh, as I said earlier, that, that's how they want to do it. You know, you're, you're pro-vaxxer, you're anti-vaxxer, you're pro-life or you're, you know, you're pro-choice. You're not, you can't be anything else. They, they group you and then they figure it out and how to trigger you and keep you in that group and or keep manipulating that group in some way uh, to run it out or to grow it to do what they need it to do. I mean, it's just, it's the simplest way to explain it. And it's horrible. Well, and they don't leave any room for like, that's one of the reasons I did the last video I did. It was just to kind of because people are still asking me what my views are now, um, but was to say there's no room for any deviation either. And there's so many overused concepts now. So, for example, alt-right, like I've been called alt-right, and you guys like would probably both laugh out loud if somebody had said that, you know, about me. You know me. But, like, if you don't follow the letter, then you're alt-right. So, like, there's a, a girl, her YouTube handle is Shoe on Head. She gets called alt-right, and she's a fucking Bernie supporter. Like, full-on makes videos about Bernie but she's alt-right because she's not pro-feminist and she's not pro, you know, uh, SJW stuff. They labeled Sargon of Akkad alt-right, and he is starting to lean to the right now, but he wasn't for the longest time. He actually did videos about how hard it is to live on minimum wage and stuff like that. No alt-right person would ever say that, you know, um, but it's they, they throw labels at people. And the funny thing is, is that, you know, like we talked about the race card getting overused. You know, but all of this stuff is overused and that like white supremacist is getting overused, you know, and the funny thing is, is like I actually went because he has a show here on blog talk. You can talk to the leader of the Nazi party of the United States, like he'll take your call and you can talk to him. And one of the things he told me is that they're laughing their asses off. This is great for them because they don't hardly have to do anything. And, you know, they're getting new recruits and people are interested and they don't, and oh what, you know, what they don't understand, <laughs> what they don't understand Jeez. is that it's the reason they're getting new recruits is not because of Trump. It's not because of the proud boys. It's not because it's because of the fact that BLM is being manipulated into doing things like charging up into a cafe turning over people's food and they're ta you know, like literally behaving like Nazi brown shirts, you know, or the incident in Portland where they kicked that guy in the head, you know, like, and the fact, and, and before leading up to that video, you can watch them because um, uh, there's some of these alternative journalists on the right actually literally disguise themselves as Antifa. And in which case you can literally walk around and follow them around and watch the things that these people are doing when they don't think anybody's recording it. And that's how they caught that video of that guy getting kicked in the head. You know, um, they're like, this is recruiting stuff for us. We don't have to do anything. And he's like, it's funny because they keep making up stories that we're going to protests and starting stuff. He's like, I don't got to do nothing. 
I could just sit here and watch while you guys like let them, you know, target white people and you know, especially poor white people. You know, you're going to kick one of those people in the head and then never guess who they're going to be looking up next. Well, it's not going to be, you know, their side. It's going to be my side. You know, he just openly, you know, made it clear that that's how they feel. You know, and that's the other thing about it that is so stupid that that Chris Hedges guy pointed out is that nobody who encounters like when BLM did that thing of going up into that cafe and like turning over people's tables and stuff. Nobody came away from that thinking to themselves, gee, you know, I didn't believe there was racism in the world. But now that those people showed up at my dinner table and turned over my table and threatened to beat me up. I suddenly have had an epiphany that I, you know, feel more sympathetic to their side. Like, nobody does that. You know, even with the less violent stuff, nobody who you stop on the freeway, you know, and bang on their car and kick on it, suddenly says to themselves, gee, I've had an epiphany. I suddenly want to fight racism in the United States. You know, and and more to the point, this is something Chris Hedges points out, and I had been pointing it out for the longest time, in storm clouds gathering Aaron Hawkins, when I had him on agreed with it too, is that the left is being manipulated in such a way that I went up and I looked up the Patriot act and I read what it said, because it's been a while, you know, and they've literally, they're crossing all the dots and, you know, basically checking all the check marks for domestic terrorism. Every last one of them has been checked to uh, attempt to coerce or intimidate a civilian population um, check. Another one is, you know, to try to sway, you know, the political views of like, you know, political offices or something to that effect. Check. You know, it's all there and they do it all the time. You know, and then now they're showing up at politicians houses. They go to Mitch McConnell's house. You know, that's that's all listed as domestic terrorism, you know, and they don't realize that the other part about this is that in the meantime, the public support for Black Lives Matter which had skyrocketed after the Jacob Blake shooting has now plummeted um, and is still going down. And the more they riot and the more they burn things, and the more they blow things up, the more they lose support. And now left-leaning well, activism is being I mean, labeled with that too. Go ahead, Brian. Well, of course they lose support. I mean, you know, underground movements against foreign enemies start because foreign enemies come in and start burning villages and houses and people who remain silent start speaking up. I mean, you know, um, it's when you look at it, the first thing I think of is how do you convince everybody to get off of these platforms and stop buying it? I mean, that, that becomes the real problem, I think. And, you know, we've had all these different hot buttons that they've been able to shut down. They've been able to shut down the anti-war message, been able to shut down the, um, the anti-vax message, you know, and, and paint that to vilify it and you know they're just systematically going through and shutting down these messages and again we're talking about these documentaries and I, I just sit here and I think like we're all still using YouTube and Facebook and all that even while we do this show I'm sitting here looking at Facebook and you know getting triggered by an article and it's how do we how do we break it I mean when you talk about breaking the matrix we're kind of in it right now we are living it and we're just nobody's taking that pill to get out of it go ahead ray yeah well i think people are taking the pill i think a lot of people are um seeing through this but um yeah it's certainly not the majority or anything close to it but i think progress is being made um the dissolution of the u.s i don't see how we make it through this i really don't um regardless right. of who wins this election 
Um, 30% of the population is going to be absolutely convinced the election was stolen. Um, and, um, you know, if that's Trump that wins, we're going to be looking at Antifa and BLM coming out like crazy. And if it's Biden that wins, we're going to be looking at the militias that come out like crazy. And either way, we're going to be looking at potential state session issues. I think we're going to be looking at challenges um, to states' rights, which, you know, it's the, these are, this is what's interesting because for all these 15 years that I've been an activist, you know, states' rights, is something I've been for, and I've been like. But you know, in these state rights, you were for. You you cut out there. You said state rights. Yeah, you said something about state rights, states' rights. Yeah, and for all these years, I've been for states' rights, and and I couldn't have cared less about the if the the U.S. broke up into fifty individual countries. I would have been glad for that. But you know, these days, what's happened on the on the international scene? That would not be good. Um, the U.S. stands for what the principles laid out in the Declaration of Independence. All men are created equal, and it's a damn shame that we failed so badly to do that in the sense that we you know, destroyed the indigenous population. We enslaved black people for 100 years after the Declaration was written, and we have a lot to heal in those ways. But, you know, like holding this country together feels really important to me right now, and I just hope that people can start seeing the fuckery at play here and unfortunately unfortunately a lot of it is playing out through the democratic party and that does not make me happy because i know a lot of people have really attached a lot of value on what that party used to represent and it makes me sad that they they have to have their part broken in such a way but you know it that's just the case it's time you know get out of that get away from that scene open your mind stop getting fed the bullshit you know i think that when we make the pill analogy of the matrix, something that occurred to me recently is that both the red pill and the blue pill are actually representing different matrixes because we don't see it as often right now. I agree with you, Ray, that right now you definitely see a lot more of it happening on the left side. There's no question. The left is being far more brazen about it. You know, for all the conversations about the proud boys and, you know, these um, and Patriot prayer, I watched the live feeds I watch the live feeds that are literally put on by Black Lives Matter members, and we're not seeing Patriot Prayer. We're not seeing Proud Boys. They're not showing up to these events most of the time. And the one time that they did recently, it was in Portland, of all places, and nothing happened. The Proud Boys did their their rally. They were quiet about it. Like, you know, I mean, they, they had their speakers. I don't mean quiet as in silent, but as in there was no trouble at all. Zero trouble happened. You know, and if that was, but, you know, even, what the hell is that guy named, Chris Matthews, whoever was, like, uh, pushing the debate, like, it was way more important to that guy, and he's a Fox News guy. Wallace, To Wallace. get Trump, yeah, to, to, get, to get Trump to go, you know, to, to denounce these groups, and I'm like, I hate to say this, buddy, I don't agree with those groups ideologically, but they're not the ones burning down the goddamn cities, and I don't feel that way because of the mainstream media, I don't watch the mainstream media. Like, it's very rare. Like, if I have to, I will. But honestly, most of the time, I don't. And the truth is, watching raw feeds, meaning literally independent journalists walking around with their cell phones, is the best way to learn about what's going on in Portland, in Kenosha, and all these hotspots. And the fact of the matter is, the Proud Boys are almost never there. The Patriot Pair guys are almost never there. That Trump rally when um, Michael Reinhold murdered jay danielson was an exception that and that's because trump went there so they all went there 
you know, and for the most part, they're not even present, you know, and all of the arguments that went on during the Rittenhouse stuff, you know, it was all, I mean, I watched hours of footage to get this straight before the, the dumpster fire, they were arguing because the libertarians were like, Hey, stop it. Because they were throwing glass bottles at police vehicles. And the libertarians were like, what are you doing? Stop. You know, because they didn't want that. And the Black Lives Matter people literally started screaming and cussing at them like, well, you know, what's the matter with you? You know, this is what we do. Don't interfere with what we're doing, essentially like defending their right to riot. And then everything heated up, no pun intended, when they lit the dumpster fire, you know, and all the libertarians did was walk up with a fire extinguisher and put out the dumpster fire. And that led to an almost like outright brawl. And people are complaining about that group being armed. But the reality is this. If that group had not been armed, I have every bit of confidence after watching that video that if they were not armed, they would have been swarmed and beaten down. There was so much hostility in that crowd because somebody dared to put out their dumpster fire. You know, like that's an analogy for so many things. (laughs) Yeah. They were freaking Uh, the fuck out. You, yeah. you just I mean, thought they hurt somebody. Experience. Go ahead, Ray. Yeah, could, am I coming through okay? Yeah, you are. I was just talking over you a little bit. Okay, I'm cool. to stop, so go ahead and talk. Right. No problem. <laughs> yeah, no, I have personal experience. I mean, I was Albuquerque. Remember, Ferguson, there was Albuquerque. You remember, I was there. I was, we took, when, they, when the cops were killing people, a lot of them minorities, there are very few black people in Albuquerque, so it wasn't, it wasn't a lot of black. Definitely Hispanics and natives. Uh, and white people, um, and so when they they were killing somebody every week, we rioted. We took over city council. I was there. I took over city council. I sat in the city council seat. Just Google it if you want. Al- Albuquerque protesters take over city council. So I am all for um, this this uh, police brutality uh, movement to, to to get the cops to calm down a little bit. Um, and uh, you know, BLM turned me against it. I was in LA. For um, the Save the Children March, which was in, which is amazing, by the way, we marched all over Hollywood. We had so much support. Um, so many people are are just really getting the the drift of what's going on with the pedophilia and and the child trafficking stuff. But uh, so that rally was over, and I was just driving through LA, and there's the and there's a Black Lives Matter protest. They're standing in the middle of the street. There's not more than like 20 people there, but they're blocking the intersection for no reason. People could still drive by, but for some reason, there's two or three guys there blocking traffic telling us to go around the block and i said yo dude let me go through you don't need to tell me you don't need to direct traffic thank you very much he's like no go you've got to turn man i'm like yo dude you're not the traffic director around here he's like hit me hit me and i'll tell you what i never wanted to hit so what you're saying ray is that you were not persuaded to support his cause because he stopped you in traffic Yeah, you know, I'm just saying, first-hand experience with these people is not something attractive. That's for sure. It does not. It is turning me against their cause when I was the biggest proponent for their cause. That's yeah. That was one of the things we marched against in Occupy, and I and I can't support what they're doing anymore either. And that's, you know, but that's another thing actually. I would bring up, and this is like even libertarians are shaking their head. Well, right. Um, (laughs) Was going to say that. there is kind of a war on terror level thing going on here. And allow me to explain. It's like, I went ahead and just looked up the numbers myself as far as to how many people are being killed by police. And 
that we have like a population of I think it's like 344 m- million people in the United States, and then there's like three million something police interactions every year, and that we only lose, as in people, only about a thousand people or less on average every year is killed by cops. Only a thousand out of 300 million people. Um, and like Black Lives Matter number for the number of unarmed black people who were killed last year is 13. That's th- just 13. Like you're literally I... more likely, this is not hyperbole, you are statistically more likely to drown in a pool, die in a fire, or die in childbirth. Even if you're black, you're still more likely to die by any of those ways than you are at the hands of police. And I don't, I'm not saying we should not reform police. I'm not saying we shouldn't do more training, but that doesn't seem to be the, the, what they want. They, they want this abolished nonsense. And even I am not, you know, the biggest person on police, obviously, you know, like, well, we got two libertarians and I'm, I guess I'm a left libertarian. Or, I don't know what you identify anymore as Ray. Hey, but, hey, hey, don't be, don't be hey. labeling me, buddy. Okay. Okay. Yeah, right. But the point <laughs> is, is that we're not the, you know, we were, we would have been the first people to not necessarily be pro police, but at the same time, when these people had their opportunities to demonstrate what that would look like, terrible. They had their chest chopped, and shootings went up dramatically. You know, they tried to do their, their self-policing. So what was that? Well, that was guys walking around with AR-15s, you know, and they put up walls, <laughs> you know, like checkpoints to let people come in or not. And then at one point, they got a call saying there was a drive-by shooting in a silver SUV, so then they see a white SUV go by and they shoot it up and they kill a guy and injure a 14-year-old boy in the car. But policing's so easy. They don't need cops. They can handle it all by themselves. I was like, these people have no idea what they're talking about. And the vast majority of the people that are advocating for no police, well, I don't think, you know, we go back to the Kyle Rittenhouse incident. It's interesting that in a random sampling of three different people who were present during the Kyle Rittenhouse incident, they all just happened to be hardened criminals with long rap sheets that included violent crimes. Of course they want to abolish the police. You know, of course they want to, you know, they don't want police around. You know, do you want a guy like Joseph Rosenbaum who raped five boys between the ages of nine and 11 years old? Do you want him as your neighbor in a world without police? I don't. You know, that's it's. I don't think he'd be in the world too much longer. Well, yeah, but the point is, is that there are personalities who are on board with abolishing the police who have a very different view on why they want it to be that way. You know, and meanwhile, a lot of these people are ignorant about our crime, especially the kids who've never lived in one of these neighborhoods. I have a friend named Robert, point that kind of sticks in my mind. He said that you get these spoiled white kids, he's black, who think that they know the ghetto because they drove through my neighborhood once to go to a rock concert or something. Like, they, they have no idea what it's like to live there. They have no idea what it's like to, to dwell there. They don't know what it's like to hear gunshots off in the distance and just kind of shrug it off because it's normal. They don't know what it's like to have police response times that are two hours or more, even for violent crimes. They have no idea what any of that is like. And, and he said that because he goes to these things, too, and just quietly listens to what they're saying, is that the ones that he finds that are anti-police, largely are either people who don't know a damn thing about what it's like to be in a place with underfunded police or people who are criminals who are looking forward to a world with underfunded or abolished police. And that, that's at the core that nobody wants to address 
is that the, their solutions that they're suggesting, that's why I compared it to, the, to the, um, the war on terror. Because as Peter Joseph pointed out in Zeitgeist, we put so much effort into fighting terrorism when more people die by peanut allergies than die by terrorist acts. And so now we've pushed this issue of police brutality and police murder so much to the point that people literally believe that you have a high likelihood of being shot if you're pulled over. Especially as a person of color, you do have a higher likelihood, but 13 people out of 300 million people is not a lot of people. Of course we would like it to be zero, but that's not a lot of people. And that's why when they finally get an instance, like the Jacob Blake shooting, the Jacob Blake shooting, that they, the, the version of it that they passed around in Black Lives Matter was that he was there to break up a fight, that he was relieved that the police showed up, and that he was just trying to leave because he figured they had it, which is a total fabrication. What really happened is that he was there violating a restraining order that his rape victim got against him for breaking into her home and raping her and threatening her, and that he was trying to steal her car and abduct her children. None of that made it into the, uh, into the dialect of this situation. None of it made it into the dialogue. That's, and the reason that they have to twist these things so hard is because these police shootings are actually far more rare than people are actually being led to believe. And that's why they need, oh, look, we got one on video. How can we twist this to fit the narrative? You know, it, and that's, that never became more clear to me until I did my own research, uh, did my own research, and looked at the crime report as to what was actually going on, looked at the tweets, because they're still not talking about this woman who was victimized. She's, not, she's the victim. She's the victim. Not Jacob Blake, the, the man, you know, that, not the man who showed up to terrorize her and steal her car and abduct her kids. She's the victim. People don't even know her name. You know, that, that's, that, who does that suit? And that's why I compared it to the war on terror. Because now people are pushing for a knee-jerk reaction. You know, they're pushing for an emotional reaction. And the last time that that happened to us was 9-11. And that emotional reaction, people capitalized on it. I took advantage of it and passed a lot of really screwed up stuff into our laws that violates our constitution. Who is going to benefit from this? I think well, we're going I mean, to know. Violating go the ahead, constitution Brian. Is, violating the constitution is not new to them. As far as statistics go on likelihood to be shot by a police, um, I mean, you know, it's, it's not the numbers. It's, it's the principle. It's how it happened. I mean, these, Clearly, they say they're there to serve and protect, and that's not what's happening. There's obviously a lack of training, but there's also, I mean, nobody likes to get pulled over. And, you know, there's a fundamentally, there's just too many laws, too many reasons for these guys with guns and a badge to stop you and harass you and come up with some reason why you, they have to take you in and kidnap you or extort your money from you. And, you know, in these cases, like the Jacob Blake and George Floyd, you might be saying, well, they were dealing with, you know, responding to a call. And in that case, it might require police in any normal society. Then we're back to either this guy really just had it coming because of the way he operated or bad training. But at the end of the day, it's not really about the statistics. It's really about how it's happening. And in some cases, over the littlest things. I mean, the guy who got strangled for the tax on cigarettes. 
you know, well, and I'm not that saying kind of that I'm that's... pro police brutality by any means. What no, I'm getting at is that were. the I'm problem just... is being conflated it to, to be a addressed. point. Right. It's being conflated to a point that it's out of control. And when you go back to those algorithms, what do you think people are seeing when they search for police brutality online? You know, whatever Google what, wants them to see. Well, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah whatever so Google wants have, them to see. We have, we have the Democratic Party and we have the mainstream media that is part of the blue church. Again, read about the blue church, right? We have this conglomeration pushing for people to be mad at cops. This is a new twist. All right. This is something we have not seen before in the U.S. ever. What is up with that? Not just right. mad, dehumanize, dehumanize, like utterly dehumanize. Like it, it, that's funny. It's like uh, at one of the protests I was watching, one of the protesters went up and tried to talk to a cop and they went over to the person and said, don't talk to them. We're not allowed to talk to them. And the cop's like, what do you mean? You're not allowed to talk to me. Oh, well, somebody told us not to talk to you. He's like, okay. You know, and that's something that I've been pointing out to people for a while now is that if they were going to have some kind of insurrection, like some of these Antifa nutcases are being convinced that they will. When people talk about civil war, what do they think a civil war would look like in the United States? And the fact of the matter is the civil war in the United States was government forces fighting other government forces. Right now, the, the activist groups are being taught to alienate the police and to alienate the military. If there was ever going to be any realistic attempt to overthrow the government, you would need a significant support from those two groups. And they don't have it. They don't have it. In fact, they're being taught to not have it. And they're be giving, being given really ridiculous, unrealistic beliefs about their own abilities because they're being allowed to, to finish these riots. That's what, I mean, remember we were talking about that earlier, was that they haven't even started with the more, like, uh, simple things that they can do to stop rioters, like water cannons, proactive use of batons. They just started talking about microwave cannons. They just started using sonic. Like, if they really wanted these riots over with, they, they'd get it done. That's, but because of the fact that no serious measures are being taken to stop them, I, I got into one interaction with one Antifa guy who said that he's an Iraq war veteran and he's training revolutionaries and that they've been fighting the most militarized police in the history of the world. And I'm like, you're not fighting the cops. He's like, yes, we are. I'm like, okay, what makes you say that? And he's like, well, I'm a military veteran. I'm like, okay, so how many Taliban did you fight who sat across from you with non-lethal weapons and were content to just let you stay there as long as you didn't walk up on them? Like, they're not fighting cops. The the cops haven't tried to kill any of them yet. Not not on the level they could if it was a fight, if it was a battle. Go ahead. Well, I I hope police chiefs have a little bit more common sense and – and kind of send down the line, like, look, obviously all cameras are on us right now, you know, kind of don't do anything stupid. I would hope that that goes down the line in some way during all this and hopefully beyond that. But I, as far as uh, militarization of the police, I mean, that has been going on for a long time. And I mean, even shows that are on cable network, like Adam Ruins Everything, can give you the simple explanation on how and why they started to militarize the police. Um we do have a us versus them game going. There's no doubt about that. And it's been set up that way for a while and it is boiling over. And it's sad. You would think that cooler heads could prevail in all this. And this would be stuff that could be worked out with common sense. But, you know, clearly history has shown mankind is not like that. And we're generally violent. 
Well, that's something right. that but really, guys. I'm Go asking, ahead, Ray. What is up? What is the agenda? Let's, what is the agenda with with the powers that be promoting being against police? Uh, I would say that way you can then circumvent the Constitution and bring in military. Well, and yeah, then take and they need to. I mean, when you think about it ideologically, what what Trump or whomever, if they wanted to be fascist, you know, anybody, if anybody wanted to take over and actually have fascism, one of the major components that they do not have that the Nazis did was willing stormtroopers. And that's, that's right. why I was pointing out that the idea of alienating the police and the military is absolutely suicidal um, on the part of activists. Because for one thing, they're, they're, they're lining themselves up in the crosshairs of the Patriot Act, as we discussed previously. But for another, the more these people treat police the way that they are, the easier it is to get the police to be willing to go, yeah, all right, sure, I'll go to their house and round them up. Everybody who said anything negative on the Internet, no problem, I'm on it. You know, and this whole situation essentially is forcing the police into a scenario where they're being spit on, attacked, insulted nonstop and are being ordered to stand there and take it. Okay. And it does. And again, I'm not justifying any anger that a cop would want to have at this, but this is going to inevitably have a toll on our police force in the military. A large portion of the military is already like, put me in coach, you know, like they're ready to go, but if they, but it hasn't gone enough to the point where they would totally go over there. But like, if we got to a point where, declared martial law, the only thing that's going to stop the government from becoming fascist is going to be the military and the police. And if we've alienated those groups, and more importantly, if we've shown ourselves to be psychopathic terrorists bent on, you know, destructive takeover of the government and that, you know, we follow some evil racist ideology, you know, of course it's going to be easier to convince the cops to come after us. Of course it's going to be easier to convince the military to show up and deal with us especially since they've been right. fighting, quote-unquote, terrorists, quote-unquote, terrorists for That's years. Right. Go ahead. Yeah, we had, a, we had a friend back in 2008 uh, who was in the military, and he, he was retired, and he wanted, one of the jobs he had gotten to do was actually perform internal uh, survey work on the military. And he came away uh, with the clear message that 80% of enlisted men would not shoot on American citizens under any circumstances. They would not obey orders. Right. And so perhaps you're right about this agenda, guys. And, um, you know, that's the question. I'm not saying I know the answer, and I'm not saying we're right in our hunch here. But if people aren't asking this question, why is the mainstream media and the government promoting to be against the cops? I mean, that question has to be answered. If you cannot answer that question but something other than this theory, you know, then you might want to consider this theory. Right. I agree. Gentlemen, um, you know, I got to end this in a few minutes here, but, you know, we only have Neil, five minutes left. All so. right. Well, there you go. Um, as yeah. far as it goes, you know, I think, we, you know, we're going to work on this documentary and, you know, in that people are going to see the side of the media and the social media that we're pointing out here. And what happened with Kyle um, was not isolated and it will continue to happen. And these kind of things are just, you know, they've got it. They're, it's working and they're going to keep using it. That's the video. The next one I'm doing is about the guy who got unfortunately uh, committed suicide recently who had defended himself during a Black Lives Matter protest and shot a kid, and they initially cleared him, 
and then the mob was able to demand that they charge him anyway and they ruined that guy's life that's going to be my next video um and uh ray you've been doing some pretty good live streams on your facebook are you going to keep doing that yeah right they're just both of them have just been pretty random i just felt like there's something i have to say and i don't feel like trying to type it out because it's going to take me like hours to type it the way i would want to type it um but uh, i did a live stream and yeah and so yeah i just invite everybody if you want to know more about anything uh, that i think about the world and i actually spend most of my time presenting solutions i do have solutions to all of these problems believe it or not that's right um <laughs> But just uh, vote for Ray today. <laughs> That's right. Protocol Mail it in. Mail in your vote. Right. What? Well, so yeah, this has been a great conversation, guys. I think you know it's interesting to see you know how much we've all developed as activists. But what else is interesting is that now it almost feels like we're coming full circle because things that we talked about in 2008, you know, are now coming back to fruition, and I uh, think that it's. Well, right. And it's important because everybody thought we were crazy before. And now everything that we said was going to happen is happening more or less. And in we're some still ways crazy, happening... but we were right. Right. <laughs> Sometimes the truth yeah. is pretty insane. Um, so uh, thank you, everybody, for tuning in tonight. Um, please, if you have not already, make sure that you subscribe to my YouTube channel because I'll be migrating a lot of my content over there. Um, I will be leaving blog talk radio and my subscription has run up. I will still have podcasts available through anchor. It looks like I'm going to be on Spotify. I'll still be on iTunes. Um, I may occasionally bring my blog talk account back up because the telephone operation ability of it is good, but the sound quality has never been great. And I largely just stayed on the blog talk medium specifically because there were so many of my followers here so if you've been a longtime follower of V Radio and you've been listening through Blog Talk Radio, please, I put in the description of this episode uh, the link to my YouTube channel. You can subscribe there and you can continue to follow me on Anchor Podcasts. Um, and there's other mediums. I have a BitChute account. I have a uh, Rumble account now. Um, and you can also follow me on social media via Facebook. I'm, I'm hoping to get a website up again so that I can put all of this in one central place. Hint, hint, Ray. <laughs> yeah, well, um, I did. I did buy your domain name, so I could put that up for you anytime. So, excellent. Thanks for having me, bro. So, I'm dropping. No problem. No problem. It was uh, great talking night, to you guys man. again. And um, I will uh, be talking to all of you again later. Please like and subscribe and ring the bell if you're listening to this on YouTube. And thanks for tuning in to V Radio. Peace out. Soon as you're born, they make you feel small by giving you no time instead of it all. Till the pain is so big you feel nothing at all. A working class hero is something to be. Working class hero is something to be They hurt you at home And they hit you at school They hate you if you're clever And they despise a fool Till you're so fucking crazy You can't follow their rules
working class hero is something to be A working class hero is something to be When they've tortured and scared you for twenty odd years Then they expect you to pick a career When you can't really function, you're so full of fear A working class hero is something to be A working class hero is something to be Keep you doped with religion and sex and TV And you think you're so clever and classless and free But you're still fucking peasants as far as I can see A working class hero is something to be Working class hero is something to be There's room at the top, they are telling you still But first you must learn how to smile as you kill If you want to be like the folks on the hill Working class hero is something to be A working class hero is something to be If you want to be a hero, well just follow me If you want to be a hero, well just follow me